And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. The late Jesuit Father Paul Mankowski was brilliant, uh, but he wrote with uh, such insight and humor. And I just say from my own experience with him, and I did not read much of him, um, but when I was just returning to the Catholic Church uh, in 1992, uh, I came across an essay of his in First Things called What I Saw at the American Academy of Religion, which had me in tears. It is rare to find somebody with a mastery of intellectual and academic matters right with such um, a searing insight into the foibles of uh, university professors. With me right now, though, to talk over the larger picture of Father Mankowski's life, is George Weigel. George, of course, is Distinguished Senior Fellow and William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's the author of many books, as you know, including Witness to Hope, The Next Pope, which uh, we need to actually do another another interview on, and Evangelical Catholicism. He is the editor and also provided an outstanding introduction to this new book, Jesuit at Large, Essays and Reviews by Paul V. Mankowski, S.J. George, great to have you here. Thanks. Thank you, Al. I don't know whether you could hear me laughing in the background (laughs) when you mentioned what I saw at the American Academy of Religion, (laughs) which is, I I think, one of the five most brilliant and arguably funniest articles that First Things has published in 30-plus years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I was... I'm very, very happy that we've managed to bring that up from the uh, file cabinet and uh, put it put it in this uh, book. Yes, yes. Uh, it's one of many, many brilliant, scintillating, uh, witty pieces by one of the most remarkable men I have ever met, uh, whom I was privilege to call a friend for for over 30 years. Yeah. I I never I never met him, never had a chance to interview him. And in fact, it occurred to me over the years when I didn't see more material from him. I wondered, well, you know, what would happen to him? This guy was great. And um there was a period of time in which he was silenced apparently. Is that right? Yeah, uh, there was a period of time when um he was not allowed to publish by his religious superiors. Uh, fortunately, that ban was lifted after some time. But it's, uh, it was a tragedy because this was one of the great uh, minds and mm-hmm. pens in, in the Catholic Church yep. in, in the English-speaking world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's sort of like saying, okay, Chesterton, you can't write anything for <laughs> right, 10 years. Right, right. Or, okay, Ronald Knox, you can't write anything for 10 years. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's a loss, but uh, I think the, the material that's collected in, in Jesuit at large, which, which are, I think are Father Mangelsky's major essays and reviews, both going back to the 90s and in more recent years when this ban was lifted by a more discerning superior, if I may use the Jesuit term, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, really will stand the test of time. Yeah. Um, 
uh, as I said in my own column on the book last week, uh, Paul Mankowski really had no peer as a book reviewer. I mean, you could have given him anything from Julia Child's latest cookbook to Norman Mailer's latest dumb novel to a Ugaritic dictionary. Right, <laughs> right. To the collected works of Evil and War. And, I mean, he'd just do a brilliant job on it. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the most wide-ranging minds that I think I've uh, ever met. Uh, and yet, absolutely without um, what our British friends would call side. Uh, he was a genuinely um, ascetic man. He had no pretensions. Um, he lived a rigorously ascetical life. And yet he was one of the funniest people I have ever met. He may be <laughs> the funniest person I've ever met. Uh, I have emails from him dating back 30 years that I have saved because when I'm in the slough of despond, all I have to do is pull one of them out and read it. <laughs> and I'm laughing my head off. Yeah. Uh, he, he, how, I mean, he was a tough guy, too, right? He was a former boxer. Uh, did some boxing, and uh, he was also, he never lost his love for, uh, you know, kind of working-class uh, Catholicism, blue-collar Catholicism, whatever you want to call it. That's what he grew up in, in South Bend, Indiana, in the days when that was that was still an industrial town. I mean, right. it was the home of Studebaker and a lot of uh, machine tooling stuff and uh, automobile support, uh, automobile supply places. And uh, that's what his dad was. His dad worked in uh, in one of those, uh, I think, Bendix plant. Um, and uh, he never, I mean, the smartest kid in South Bend, Indiana, never looked down his nose at, at the neighborhood and the people that he yeah. grew up in. Yeah. Uh, he helped put himself through the University of Chicago by working in a steel mill during the summer. Uh, when he was doing... A degree at Oxford, he ran into the man who would become in 2013 the Prime Minister of Australia, Tony Abbott, uh, who was another who was over there on a Rhodes Scholarship, and um, Paul became Tony Abbott's sparring partner. <laughs> um, and yet, uh, for all of that, I mean a. A remarkable spiritual director, um, a a truly gentle soul in some ways. I mean, he could be absolutely fierce in denouncing what he thought was hypocrisy or apostasy or stupidity, but he was a real uh, pastor when it came to helping people through the messes that we all make uh, in our uh, lives. Sure. Um, so, um, uh, quite remarkable personality. I still can't quite believe that he's dead. Uh, <laughs> this Paul died on September 3rd of last Just year. last year, yeah. Um, what were the, cir I, what were the circumstances still, for that? Um, he, <clears throat> he had said Mass for a group of contemplative nuns. This is at the height of plague time, and uh, he was, you know, helping out uh, getting the sacraments to people who 
uh, were having a tough time accessing the sacraments. And he went to the dentist's office, and the dentist put him in the chair and went out to wash his hands or whatever. And when he came back, Paul was slumped over. Huh. And the EMT people thought it was a heart attack. Turned out it was a burst cerebral aneurysm. Okay. Uh, 66 years old, far too young. Far too um, young, yeah. And to this day, there are... Uh, something will happen, or I'll run into something funny or ludicrous or whatever. And my immediate instinct is I'll, I'll call Paul about that. Wow. I'll send him an email about that. Yeah. But shortly after his death, um, uh, I couldn't attend the funeral because of travel and COVID and all that. Sure. Um, but the thought occurred to me, you know, this guy deserves to be anthologized. Right. So I called up my good friend Mark Brumley at Ignatius Press and said, um, I'm willing to take this on if, uh, if you guys are willing to do it. And, of course, Father Menchowski was a great friend of Father Fessio, right. uh, the founder of Ignatius Press. So they were they were all in. And, um, you know, we got this put together. And then I, I, I had said to Mark, I will write a substantial introduction to this that, um, that you know, lays out this guy's life and his significance and uh, whatnot. So that's the book. Yeah. And it's, again, they've got great essays in it, book reviews, uh, and also an appendix, which I'll, we'll go into, because uh, uh, I do. I'll wait until the next segment before we go into any of the details surrounding why he was silenced. But uh, he, I, I think that was in your book that I read that um, might have been your introduction, in fact, that he did not. He was not bitter. Uh, he might have been frustrated, but he wasn't bitter, and he could still counsel a young man uh, with cautions to consider becoming a Jesuit. Yeah, that's uh, that's a le- I quote rather extensively in the introduction from a letter that um, uh, Father Mankowski had sent to a young man who was trying to figure out what he should do with his life, and... Um, uh, he was quite blunt in his um, candid, I should say, yeah. about his concerns about the present state of the society. Uh, but you know, then said, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it all over again. Right. Uh, so no, he was not uh, at all a bitter. I think it's it's probably more true to say that some of his brethren were embittered toward him. Mm-hmm. But I do think that at the end of his life, in the last half dozen uh, years or more, he um, he uh, uh, had superiors who appreciated his gifts, um, turned him loose again, if you will. Mm-hmm. He had a very fulfilling ministry at the Lumen Christi Institute at in, the Chicago? in Chicago. Yep. Okay. Which just lost its founding director, Tom Levergood. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, Thomas died uh, last month, I think. Uh, how, how old was Tom? Early, late 50s, yeah, early 60s. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was young, uh, too. Very, yeah, very sad uh, business. Um, um, so I think at the end, Paul and the society, 
society had reached a, a kind of modus vivendi that was more comfortable uh, for everyone than it had uh, uh, been uh, perhaps 20 years before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I ran into a very senior uh, member of the Jesuit leadership, whom I won't name, here in Washington about three years ago at a mass at St. Matthew's Cathedral. And uh, I thanked him after the mass for what he had done for Paul Mankowski over the years. And he said to me, I wish I were as good a priest as Paul Mankowski. Wow. George, hold it there. We need to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. It's a wonderful collection of essays and reviews called Jesuit at Large. Uh, The essays and reviews of the late Father Paul Mankowski, edited by George Weigel. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, George Weigel, uh, edited and provided an introduction to this wonderful collection of essays and reviews by the late Father Paul Mankowski, who left this world uh, last fall or early fall. And he, one of the things, a number of friends of mine uh, have mentioned Father Minkowski over the years, uh, and the word that they always bring up is brilliant. Second, they bring up humor or wit. And um, the third thing is they say strong. He was, he could speak uh, without ambiguity. In fact, that's one of the things that I, I, kind of pick up from what you wrote too, George, and the essays that are here. This is not a man who had much patience with studied ambiguity. At the time of Father Mankowski's death, and I think I repeated this line in in my introduction, I said he was not a man of the subjunctive. (laughs) And um, I wasn't trying to be clever. I just think that's the truth. I mean, he was a he was a very indicative personality, and he thought that there was an awful lot of, uh, if you will, subjunctivitis in the church, mm-hmm. and that this was harmful. It was harmful to preaching the gospel. It was harmful to explaining why the church teaches what it teaches about what makes for righteous living. Um, so, you know... Uh, his shade will forgive him. Forgive me for using a '60s phrase here. He told it like it was, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, of course, made some people very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, uh, but he remained true to what he understood to be the vocation to which he was completely unexpectedly called. I mean, I, I go through this in in the introduction to the book. He is, he was finishing the University of Chicago as an undergraduate, you know, stellar record. Um, had a young lady with whom he was uh, having a very close friendship, perhaps pointing towards marriage. Uh, anticipated going on to graduate studies in classical languages and history. Uh, and then just like a bolt out of the blue came this idea to him, you are to be a Jesuit wow. and a priest. <laughs> and as he tells it, and I record in the introduction, he fought this for some time and finally 
said, uh, okay, you win. And then there's this typically hilarious Menkowski story where he, he didn't know any Jesuits. <laughs> so he, he looks this up in a directory, and he finds something called the Jesuit Vocation Office, which he said, I correctly and quickly discerned, or quickly and correctly discerned was a fundraising operation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and asked the lady who answered the phone, who does he talk to about becoming a Jesuit? <laughs> and she panics and starts running. He said, she ran away from the phone telling me to hold on as if she were afraid I might become a Dominican. <laughs> That's great. And, um, you know, so it was, uh, this was a, a vocation that Paul accepted as, you know, a divine call. And he thought that once he had made that commitment, he was all in. Uh, but being all in, uh, according to the terms in which he understood the vows of religion, poverty, chastity, and obedience, um, you know, made for some uncomfortable uh, times. Yeah. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, with whom he studied Italian in Rome when he was deployed to the Pontifical Biblical Institute to teach there, and by the way, he learned Italian in six weeks. He got there, got an Italian tutor, and was lecturing in Italian in six weeks. Uh, but my friend, uh, Monsignor Chris Nalti in New Orleans, who had the same tutor, said that the tutor had said to him that uh, Il Padre Minkowski è un vero ascetico, a true ascetic. Hmm. And he really lived that. I mean, he was a scholar without a personal library. That's strange. But, yeah, know, public and academic libraries were enough for him. Wow. If you would take him out to dinner, or as we used to, we used to hang out at a pizza place off the Campo dei Fiori in Rome that Father Minkowski used to call Parcells because the owner looked like Bill Parcells, the <laughs> coach of the New York Giants. <laughs> but if, you know, and I would obviously pick up the tab, and then he would go back to the Biblicum and write a check to the uh, uh, missionaries of charity for whatever his portion of the tab would have been. Wow. Uh, when he was finally allowed to make uh, final vows, uh, you know, people on those occasions send monetary gifts. He thanked them all and walked them all over to a crisis pregnancy center in Chicago. Hmm. Yes. Uh, really, yeah, no, really quite remarkable. Not dressed by Brooks Brothers, by any manner of means. Um, uh, but um, always full of life. And, you know, you, you said, you know, people would say brilliant, funny, strong. Um, there was a unique kind of sanctity about Paul. Mm. It was it was a kind of desert father's sanctity. I mean, yeah. it was... Uh, Kind of, it was a bit rough-hewn, perhaps, um, uh, but um, there was he he strove for sanctity, yeah. and yeah. I think uh, under some very difficult um, circumstances. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why he was silenced, and also the insight that he had on the abuse. Uh, crisis, which he was on to fairly early uh, compared to the Boston Globe. Uh, what 
What was the problem? Why was he silenced? Well, as I explained in the introduction, uh, there was a famous article by uh, his friend and mine, Professor, Professor James Hitchcock, sure. mm-hmm. St. Louis University, a uh, fine historian, laying out the rather um, um, uh, sorry tale of how Father Bob Drynan first got elected to Congress, what were the what was going on within the New England province of the Jesuits during that. Uh, And and Hitchcock's uh, article was based on materials that that Paul Paul Minkowski had gleaned from the archives of the New England province with the permission of the archivist. Um, And this created a huge fuss and... um, uh, But the fuss wasn't about Drynan, the fuss was about Minkowski. So I, uh, some years ago, 15 years ago at least, uh, he had written a memorandum, which he shared with friends, on how this all had happened. I had that in my files somewhere. Uh, Shortly after he died, I received identical copies of the same uh, memorandum from other friends of his. Mm -hmm. And I just decided this ought to be in this book. Uh, so that he got a chance finally to tell his side of the right, story. Right. And um, I hope it makes a contribution to understanding an important part of American Catholic history. Um, uh, but that was that was that's what really created this big big problem for him within within the society. It demonstrates now, the dissembling that went on, and it d- demonstrates the clericalism that uh, was going on there, the, the claim that there was no layman in Massachusetts that could r- run for Drynan's office is, was, was ludicrous. Yeah, it's, uh, that's to me, um, as a lay Catholic and someone who's been involved in public life for 40 years, mm-hmm. uh, that was the most astonishing thing in this, the claim by, uh, I believe it was one of the provincials that the superior father, General Father Rupe, should allow Father Drynan to continue in Congress because there was frankly no layman who could take his place. Well, I mean, you know, come on. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, as you may remember, Bob Drynan was succeeded in that seat by Barney Frank. <laughs> so I doubt that Barney <laughs> thought he was incapable. Right, of right, right. Um, Paul was on to the abuse problem very early in the 90s, and um, I think was on to the problem, if if I may call it this, the gay problem Mm -hmm. in certain sectors of the American clergy, particularly in religious life, uh, long before that. And... um, uh, that was uh, not a comfortable thing for others yeah. to hear from him. Yeah. Uh, but he was quite um, quite uh, rigorous about it, and he was as critical of uh, religious superiors and bishops who turned a blind eye or bought the nostrums of the therapeutic culture as he was of, of people who were acting in, in, 
frankly, criminal and, yeah. and, and sinful ways. Well, he knew. So, um, yeah, I mean, I. It's, it was interesting to me that this book was published just about the time in the Divine Office in the Breviary when the Jerusalemites are throwing Jeremiah down the well, because they don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> there was a certain analogous uh, uh, business here with uh, with Paul's uh, life and his um, polemic against the corruptions of clerical culture. He was willing to say that the ends that uh, Raymond Burke were seek- was seeking to achieve were different than the ends that Rembert Wakeland was seeking. In other words, they were not striving, though they were members of the same uh, church, uh, though they both had been ordained and all this, uh, they had contradictory ends. I don't know, I mean, I've heard people say that privately in conversation, but I never saw anybody of uh, his stature actually be willing to lay names that, out like that? Well, I, I mean, he encouraged a lot of us. Uh, I mean, during the, the synods of 2015 and 2018, I wrote more than once that a variety of, of German bishops yeah. Uh, yeah. simply did not believe the faith of the Catholic Church. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've been writing that ever since, because I believe it's true, uh, that I, I think you know Paul helped me and others to see this. That mm-hmm. what we're we're really not talking about style differences here. Right. We're talking about substantive differences, and and fundamentally uh, belief differences. Um, I mean, you either believe in the reality of divine revelation or you don't. Exactly. Yep. Uh, God has spoken or he hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And um, honestly, yeah. well. He was a great uh, spirit, and uh, I'm very grateful to Ignatius Press for uh, seeing this uh, through, and I I hope your listeners uh, and uh, his friends um, enjoy revisiting this extraordinary personality through his written work. <laughs> I, can, I, I can't remember whether I talked to Matkowski about this. When some bishop got up at the 2015 Senate and said, why can't we go back to Moses and just allow husbands to give rescripts of divorce? <laughs> Your Excellency, this is Team Jesus. <laughs> well, I greatly appreciate uh, your work in uh, making this available to us, uh, George, and uh, we'll talk again. Thanks. Thanks, Al. This is a book called Jesuit at Large. Of course, this is still the uh, we're still in the Jesuit year here, 500 years since a cannonball fired at the Battle of Pamplona blasted Ignatius of Loyola's leg off, in which eventually led to his conversion and led to the Jesuit order. Again, the book is called Jesuit Jesuit at Large: Essays and Reviews by Paul Mankowski, edited with an introduction by George Weigel. I'm Al Cresto.